Thank you, thank you. Hey, while you're up, why don't we just welcome our campuses and everyone who's joining us online. Thank you for being a part of our services today. Thank you for joining us. We trust that God is gonna bless you. You can all be seated. Thank you so much. What an honor to be speaking today. I always uh, never take it lightly when my husband entrusts me with the opportunity to speak to our church and our church family. So um, just super excited about, I released a book this week. Yay, for releasing books. And thank you all for your support. So blessed by just the way our church has rallied around it. And I hope that more of you'll pick it up today. And before I get into the message today, I just wanna remind all of the women, I know you saw a video promo we have Shine coming up. It is very soon. Okay, very soon. How many of you have never been to Shine? Can I see? Okay, so you, okay, put your hands down. Oh my gosh. Okay, how many of you have been to Shine? Would you just clap or something? Oh, look, and how many of you are just like, I'm not even gonna answer you right now. I don't wanna even, I don't like to come to church and raise my hand and tell you things. Um, I just wanna let you know, this event, Shine, is like, remember old school retreats where you would like pack up a suitcase and go stay in like a dorm room, sleep on a super uncomfortable mattress with dubious spots all over it, bring your own bedding, eat horrible food and share a communal bathroom with a hundred other people? This is nothing like that, Okay. It is incredible an opportunity for God to gather the women in this house and to speak a word over them. I'm gonna tell you, if you've never been before, I just really wanna encourage you to come, to give it a try. We've had lots of new people join our church. You might have an idea of what women's conferences are like. I wanna let you know, I bring in world-class speakers that are in demand all over the world, I'm not exaggerating, and they come prepared to speak into the women of this house. And I believe that God is gonna do some really incredible things inside you. It is an incredibly creative event. It's lots of fun. You're gonna love it. And if you're worried about missing work to attend Shine, let me just assure you, you can, you can pre-register for night passes. So you can just pay for the night sessions, but you have to pre-register for that. So I would love for you to go out into the lobby, check out the Shine table. We have a buy one, get one half off, so you can get one for yourself and one for a friend or two friends can get together and split the cost and get a discount. I just want you here because I know that you are gonna be incredibly, not just blessed, but challenged and inspired and just enlarged to take on what life is gonna bring you this year. I know it's gonna be amazing. So thank you, ladies, just go out there and do it. You're not gonna be sorry. So, all right, Rhythms of Grace. So excited about this book today. So excited about this message today. You know, um, before... Uh, well, why don't you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew 11, um, verses 28 through 30. And while you're doing that, I just wanna share a little bit about the story behind this book. About two and a half years ago, I got to this really, really low point in my life. Um, I guess it was it's almost going on three years now. And before I start this, I wanna say I'm good now because some people came up to me after church and they were like, you just need to lay all that down. I'm like, no, that's what the book is about. It's okay, I'm good. Not perfect, good though. Don't want you to worry about me. I'm speaking from my experience, but I'm speaking from a place of wholeness and health right now. But I wanna share with you where I've been because honestly, about two and a half years ago, I, I got to this point in my life where I was, I was so discouraged with, I don't really even know what. I was just so discouraged. I felt so much weight on the inside. I felt so um, probably depressed, although there was nothing in my life to be sad about. I was just going so fast all the time and I felt like I just couldn't keep up the pace. I just felt like I couldn't keep going. I felt like I had nothing left to give. I was so empty on the inside. And I have this little rhythm that I do every year after the you know, group semester ends and we have our Christmas services and we have the Grinch and whatever we do. I, um, well, we didn't have the Grinch back then, but we do now. But I, I usually take a few weeks at the end of Christmas to do the, at the end of the year, just to kind of look back over the year, 
to take some time to look forward to the next year, see, you know, just do a, a, a time where I think about what do I need to leave behind here? What do I need to take with me forward into the next year? You know, thank God for the good, put the bad to rest, just kind of clean the slate a little bit. And as I got, it's also, it's also a big strategic time for me. And as I drew to the close of the year, I just, I couldn't think. I just couldn't think. I would sit in front of my computer and I would stare at the screen for like three hours at a time, just like trying to write something, trying to create something. And there was nothing. I was so numb on the inside. And it wasn't like there was a lot of stress in my life in terms of things going bad, but I just felt like I could not go on. And so honestly and truly at that time, I thought, you know, God, maybe you've called me just to stop being in ministry. Maybe my season is over. Maybe you're really done with me in this area of my life. And I should start planning a way to hand off the baton to the next generation. And I began to seriously plan my responsible exit from church ministry. And, um, you know, at the root of this was actually not overscheduling, even though that was a symptom. It was not worry, even though that was a symptom. It wasn't even, um, it wasn't even that I was doing too much or that I had, you know, approval. Addi- it was none of those things. Approval addiction, those were symptoms. But at the root of this was my very, very dysfunctional relationship with my work. I had a really dysfunctional relationship with work. And I don't think that's a woman problem. I don't think it's a man problem. I think it's a human problem. Because since the Garden of Eden and the fall of man, when the world went from being designed and formulated to produce fruit and to provide to becoming the kind of place where we had to work the soil by the sweat of our brow to bring forth provision. The system of this world has been designed to do one thing and to produce one thing. And that thing that it's been designed to produce is profit. It's actually been designed to produce money at the expense of everything else, even our souls. And that's why Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Pursuit of the world oftentimes comes at the expense of our soul. And just because my job happened to take place in the context of the local church does not mean that it was less work. And that's a weird place to be because when your job is ministry, everything looks like kingdom, (laughs) It's like you start getting all your wires crossed as every relationship is also a ministry relationship, but then it's not, but then there are friendships. And then you think this is work, but then actually it's ministry. And should you charge? Like it was, it's so mushed up in there that I didn't realize that I was working so hard. I had not untangled the lines between work, 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 and what I was doing for the kingdom of God. It got all mushed up in there, all tangled up on the inside of me. And you know, I got to the point where it was so much to bear that I, I really wanted to quit. And I was just about to do that. And then God really began to, he really began to just convict me. He began to speak to my heart. And in the book, I go a lot more into the specifics around that. But this is what I know. If I, who have a very strong theological, intellectual understanding of the doctrines of grace, I understand that I do not win God's approval by the things that I do. 
I understand that he doesn't love me any more when I'm good and any less when I'm bad. I can go through all the tenets of the faith related to grace and I can name them to you and you can truth test me. And you know, does man, does God relate to us on the basis of our righteousness or his, oh, his righteousness, not my righteousness. I knew those things. But there's a difference in believing something intellectually and living as a way of experiencing it. You can know something intellectually and yet not live it out as an experience. And Christianity is meant to be not just a set of beliefs that we believe, but also a lifestyle that we, where we are experiencing the presence of God and experiencing those truths on what, the, what psychologists would call an existential level. In other words, they impact our existence. <laughs> And so I knew things about God that were not impacting my existence in any way. And I even began to see my relationship with God as a burden. And I know that might sound kind of, ooh, you're a pastor, you're not supposed to think that. But I bet so many of you have been in this same place. You know, I began to think my, my, my spiritual life became like a project list that I would kind of, you know, check off. Okay, I'm gonna get up in the morning, I'm gonna do my devos, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna read my Bible. Okay, check that off. All right, I've called these people, make sure they're all right. Okay, check that off. Now I can get on with the other stuff. And when your relationship with God crosses the line where you're checking it off of a to-do list, right next to organize the garage and cook dinner and to return emails, your relationship with God has become something that you do. And that's where I was. And I'm not saying it's bad to have discipline, but discipline without devotion leaves us with an empty shell. Our spiritual disciplines are simply meant to be a framework that gives grace a place to land in our lives. They're not the end in themselves. And if we make them the end in themselves, we really quickly can cross the line to a performance-based mentality and approach to God. We step out of pace with him. And so I had to relearn actually the way that I related to God. And I had to relearn how to do life where Jesus was setting the pace. And when I say pace, I'm not only talking about how fast I'm going, right? Because think about this. When you think about movement, rhythm, okay? Rhythm in your life. When, when you have a, we always should have a rhythm in your life, in our lives, a rhythm of rest and renewal, okay? So think about rhythm and our response to rhythm. Rhythm does what? When you hear music, it makes you, even if you don't want to, maybe move a little. If you're, if you're, you know, you might tap your leg, you might move your fingers. If you're in a car and someone's graciously sharing their radio with you in the other car, you might start bobbing your head. Your kids might be mad at you for doing that. You can't help it because what, what does rhythm do? It makes you move. Right? So when you're working out, right? So when I'm working out and I'm stretching, I want to hear slow music, instrumentals, or Inya, or something like that. But when I'm doing cardio, I want to hear Lecrae. I want to have something pumping and fast. Why? Because my, the music, the rhythm sets the pace of my movements. And in a sense, it drives what I'm doing. I need it. I respond to it. In the same way, there are voices, there are beliefs, there are there are things in this world, there are, there's a rhythm of this world, there's a pace of this world that if we're not careful, it will drown out the sound of God's voice and it will begin to set our pace of our life in a breakneck speed. And it's not only about the speed, but it's also about what internally is driving you to let that thing set the pace. And that's what I had to come to terms with. And my book is very much about my journey through that. And it was really hard to pick one thing to talk about today, but I really wanna talk about the yoke of grace. The yoke of grace. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28, verses, uh, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then again in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 in the Message Bible, I love the way this is put in the Message Bible. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? That so describes where I was. I was so tired and worn out and burned out, even in my relationship with God, I had crossed this line where everything I did was measured by a performance. How well am I doing it? And he says, if that's you, then come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The thing about rhythms of grace is this. When we are walking according to Jesus's rhythm, not only will we find that it's not a forced thing. Sometimes, you know, with our work, we feel like we're just pushing an army tank up a hill. It's so hard. But when we work with Jesus, we're gonna find that it's easy and it's light. And coming away with him lets us recover our lives. You know, I can say this for myself. I was living, but I wasn't alive. Like I was going through the motions of life. I was, I was waking up every morning, I was doing things. I was out in the world. I was, you're not in the world, but you know, outside at work doing, I mean, I was, I was living. I was doing the motions of living, but inside I did not feel alive. And that's because to experience life, we actually have to stop sometimes and actually experience it, right? And I know this, if I got to the point where I was numb on the inside, I felt like quitting. I didn't wanna go on. And I know everything I know about God. I have experienced an amazing church. I've experienced the presence of God. I've tasted and seen that he's good, but I still got to this point of discouragement. I know that there has to be people sitting in this room right now that also are at the point of discouragement where you're ready to give up. And I don't know what you might wanna give up on. Maybe you have a goal that you know that you are meant to accomplish. Maybe you know God's called you to do something. You know, the problem for me was I did, I did believe that I was called to do ministry. I still do, but I couldn't keep doing it the way I was doing it. And I knew something had to change. And I don't know what that thing is for you. Maybe some of you have gotten a new job and you're like, God, maybe I shouldn't have accepted that promotion. It's like, it's too much, I can't do it. Maybe you're parenting a kid, you're struggling with a difficult kid and you're just like, whatever, I'm just gonna let them go do their own thing. I can't take this anymore. Maybe you're believing for a marriage to be healed or a relationship to be healed. Maybe you're pursuing a degree and it's just gotten too much to bear the strain of your life anymore. And you're just thinking, maybe I should just go back and give up on this. I wanna tell you, if you are doing something right now that you know God has called you to this, but you feel like giving up, I believe that this message is for you this morning. I know that God wants to encourage you. And can I suggest to you, it might not be what you're doing, but how you're doing it, what is driving you and the pace you're doing it at, that might be the most discouraging thing. And when you learn how to measure yourself according to God's pace, walk his measured pace, you might find that it's a lot easier. That's what happened to me. So I just wanna share a few things with you. Let's just pray together and, um, and we'll continue in the word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is faster, it is quick and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, we thank you that it has the power to transform us. And we pray that you would transform us through your word today in Jesus' name, amen. So why is it, I have to ask myself, big question. Why is it, how did I let myself being, you know, studying the Bible since I was 18 years old, so that's almost 30 years, deep in the word, 
on stage, leading conferences. How did I let myself get to this point where I was so tired and I wanted to quit? And I can sum it up in four words. And those words are, I would not rest. Now, if you'd asked me, Carrie, do you have a regular rhythm of rest in your life? I would have said, sure, absolutely I rest. I rest from December 4th until December 25th. So, okay, so let me clarify with you. Rest, working until you collapse in an exhausted heap on the floor is not the same as rest. That's actually making yourself sick until you can't go on anymore and then stopping because you cannot continue. And I would have qualified that as resting, but really I was working myself to the point of exhaustion where I would completely detach and isolate myself from everybody. And I would need like months almost, sometimes not months, but like weeks and weeks and weeks of just alone time just to get back to a level of normal, not full, normal. Like if this is full, like think of a gas tank, it would take me weeks of recovery time just to get to where I wasn't out of gas, but I was nowhere close to full. And I would say that I would tell people, I would have told you, yeah, I rest, I rest for these two weeks. This is when I rest. Because I looked at rest as something that I get to do when I'm finished with all my work, right? So I didn't think of rest as something that I should make a regular part of my life, but I just thought, well, when I finish everything, I'll rest. Okay, the problem with that is, how many of you are finished with everything right now? Okay, me either. Have lots of things I could be doing. And how many of you on next Saturday, when you say, okay, Saturday, I'm gonna take a day off, will you be finished with everything on Saturday? Rest is something we have to choose to do. And when God set a rhythm of rest and renewal up, he didn't just make it something that people got to do when they finished their work. And that's like Cinderella, that's not like God. Like the stepmothers, if you finish your work, you can go to the ball. Okay, that's how we look at rest. Like if we finish our work, we can go to the ball. If we finish our work, we can rest. God actually set up Sabbath, a time, a resting zone. I talk a lot more about this in my book as the baseline beat of our lives. Not the things that make life sweet, not the things we get to do extra if we finish everything. When you talk about a song, the baseline beat, the drum beat, dun, 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 dun. For something to have a rhythm, it has to be measured and repetitive and regular. And what most of us call rest is actually collapsing and exhaustion because we look at rest as something that we get to do if we finish everything else. And what God said is no, I want you to establish in Sabbath a regular repetitive rhythm of rest and renewal in our everyday lives so that you can refill and recharge and surprise, not so that you can go out and work some more. I want you to establish this zone in your week so that you can be reminded of something because there's a hidden message in Sabbath rest, and this is it. When God commanded Sabbath rest to the Israelites, he said to them before he commanded it, I am the Lord, your God, who delivered you out of bondage. So when God established rest as the baseline beat of our lives, the rhythm setter, the pace setter, he was trying to send a message to the people of Israel. And here's the message, you're free. You are free. You don't have to work. And the reason that you don't have to work is because I am the Lord your God. Now, I would have not said to you, oh yes, I'm in bondage, I have to work. I didn't think I was in bondage. I thought I was free. But let me ask you this. If you can't rest, if you won't rest, then are you really free? Because the very definition 
of slavery is someone else decides how much you're going to work and when you can sleep and when you can get up and when you can go to bed and when you can stop and how much you have to produce and what your value is based on what you produce and not anything else. You see, the system of this world was never designed to produce rest. That's why you will never be done with everything. You can run on that treadmill. You can engage that system. You can get on that hamster wheel and you can run as much as you want, as fast as you want. It will never be enough. The minute that you can run this fast, somebody will go, oh, look how fast you're running. Let's give you this. Now let's run this fast. See if you can run this fast. Oh, you can do that? Okay, well, now let's see if you can run this fast. Because it's designed, what? To get the most out of us as possible. So if you keep running on the treadmill of this world system, you are never gonna produce peace from that. It does not matter how much money you make. It does not matter how much, how much your business grows. It doesn't matter how many promotions you get because the system of this world will never produce rest. It is designed to produce one thing. It's designed to produce profit and profit at all expense, including your expense, including the expense of your soul. So we, as the people of God, have to make a decision. We have to make a decision that we are gonna trust God enough to rest. We talk a lot about giving at Celebration Church. You're a very generous church and, um, and we believe in generosity. We talk about tithing and we talk about tithing. It's taking the first 10% out of our income and giving it to God. And Stovall often describes it this way. You're taking that 10% and you're giving it to God and you're creating space for God to fill. So we do that with our money, but why is it that we can't do that with our time? It's like, we're happy to create space for God to fill in our financial portfolio, but then when it comes to actually taking a day off and resting, it is so hard to do that. So hard to do that. And the result of it is that we actually don't have the energy and the wellness and the wholeness that it takes to finish the race that God has marked out for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, Jesus, um, the writer exhorts us to run with endurance the race set before you. You know, God's vision for your life, start to finish, is that the race that he has marked out for you, you will finish strong. God's idea of finishing the race is not you clawing your way across the finish line. Oh, thank God this is over. Let me in the gate, St. Peter. I'm so glad I finally made it to the end. God doesn't want you finishing your race like that. He wants you to finish it in a state of wholeness. He wants you to finish it in a state of fruitfulness. The book of Psalms tells us that God's desire for your life is that into your old age, there'll never be a place in your life, a season in your life where you're not fruitful. That we will be fruitful even when we're old, that we'll be full of sap and green and vital. But to do that, we have to do that from a place of wholeness. And the system of this world is designed to suck wholeness out of you for profit. (laughs) So I wanna say today, if you can't rest, it might not be because you have too much to do. (laughs) Even though you might have a lot to do. I had too much to do. The thing is, you you can adjust your schedule to contain as much as you want. You can't time manage away too much. But I would say this, are you stressed out because you really have too much to do? Or is, are you stressed out because you're not free? Because if we can't rest, If we won't rest, are we really free? I can say for myself that I wasn't. You know, it's funny that when Jesus invited us to rest, when he invited us to a lifestyle of rest, he did it by asking us to take up a yoke. Now the yoke has nothing to do with rest. He said, take my yoke up on you. 
a yoke has nothing to do with rest. In other words, a yoke is an instrument of labor. It's something that you put on two oxen and the oxen attached a burden to a, usually a plow, but it could be anything. And they would pull with cords from the yoke the burden that they were supposed to carry. And the yoke by its nature is, the, is, the, is an instrument of labor. And Jesus invited us to rest, but instead of saying, hey, you know what, guys? You don't need to work. Cast off this yoke. Take it off. Put it down in the grass and just chill out. Now, isn't that better? Don't you feel easy and light? But instead of telling us to cast off the yoke and take a nap, Jesus said, take, put down that yoke, the heavy yoke, and take up my yoke and put it on you and do work my way. Because work is meant to be a joyful overflow of the expression of purpose in our lives. And that's not just ministry. If you, if you do landscaping for a living, it should be an, over, an overflow of God's purpose in your life. If you do sales for a living, it should be an expression of God's purpose in your life. If you stay at home with your children, it should be an overflow of God's joy in your life. But when we start measuring ourselves, our worth, based on how we do at that, instead of being an overflow of joy, it becomes a very, very cruel taskmaster. And it becomes the thing that we were driven to do now becomes the driver of us. It starts to drive us. And so Jesus set up this tension, not between the heavy yoke and no yoke, between the heavy yoke and his yoke. And a lot of times I feel like, I, well, I found out for me that, you know, we all have work to do and let's just call work what has to get done during the day. A life without any work is actually was never God's ideal. A life with work done in grace, even since the Garden of Eden was always God's perfect world. But God wants our work to not define us, but for us to enjoy it, for us to find purpose in it. You know, there is a fine line and a big difference between having drive and being driven. I'm gonna say that again. There is a fine line, but a huge difference between having drive and being driven. Jesus was not driven. Jesus was responsive. He wasn't driven by externals. He responded to the voice of God. And to be able to respond to the voice of God means that we have to set aside some time to listen to his voice not to rush through it. And here's what, what can happen. We can start falling into such a performance mentality even with this aspect of our lives. Okay, I'm gonna set aside time to do my devotions, but it was only 10 minutes, so that wasn't really good. I set a goal of 30 minutes, so next time I'm gonna do 30 minutes. Oh gosh, I only had 20 this time. Then you hear someone said, yeah, I was praying for an hour this morning. You're like, oh, I'm such a prayer loser. <laughs> what? Is that what prayer is gonna be now? Like how easy do we just take the performance measures of this world and just move them on over to the spiritual. Well, this person, I found out this guy reads four chapters a day and studies commentaries in the Greek. I mean, I'm just reading my sorry little soap verse. Journaling, oh, just whatever. No, what are you doing? We can turn our relationship with God into this performance thing. We're so conditioned. I mean, our poor students. It's like, you know, C's are the new F's now. Like our poor kids. You know what, C? C has become like bad now to get a C. Like we look at our report card and they've got A's and B's and then there's like a C. What's this C in algebra for? Why do you have a C in algebra? Um, it's algebra. That's why. They started putting numbers and letters together and I just, it's harder now. C, C doesn't mean anything other than you're just doing about as good as everybody else. But now it's like we're ashamed to be average. We have to be unique. We have to be better. We have to, you know, our, we have to be talented. We have to find our one life purpose. We have to stand out. 
God, that's so much pressure. Kids, I'm sorry, y'all have to think about things like that. Like my daughter's going through college applications right now. It's like, you have to do a stunning essay. You've got to have straight A's. You have to be involved in extracurricular activities. You've got to be an athlete. You have to find a way to solve world hunger by the time you're not 18 and you have to open your own nonprofit and you have to have published a book. I'm just like, I've literally, one of the questions, have you been featured in any publications? Have you published a book? What, you're like 16. I don't even want to know what you have to say right now. Like, why don't you learn a little bit, then go write a book. We'll talk about it later. That's so much pressure. So much pressure. It's all about why. We want high potentials. We want to hire high potentials so we can, as a company, make more money. And it's destroying our kids' souls. Even at a young age. We have to be careful as parents. When you see the C, don't think of it as the new F. Because what that's driven by is maybe my kid won't get a scholarship. I don't know how they're going to pay for college. Money. And I'm not saying that we're all driven by greed and, you know, whatever. We're not. We're just living in a world that is driven by mammon, as the Bible calls it, system of this world. And we're so immersed in it, we don't realize that we're just drenched through and through with its values. And so a lot of the things that we think we have to do to succeed are just things that we put on ourselves. I actually don't have anything to do with what we need to do to succeed. A lot not to do with what God wants us to do. Not that it's sin, it's just... It's not bad, not bad to get straight A's, not bad to start a nonprofit, not bad to get a book published, but why? Why are you doing it? Because this is what I've learned, anything that's motivated out of fear, it's a fear response. It actually, it actually edges out faith. So eventually we have to carry that on our own and it becomes more than we can carry. What the spirit gives birth to, the spirit sustains. What the flesh gives birth to must be sustained by the flesh. And actually, we're already all doing too much to give birth to things that are of the flesh. So we need to listen to the song of heaven, listen to God's voice and let him set the pace. So we all have what I would call hidden drivers, things that drive us. It's the reason behind the reason that we're doing things. And I have this little thing that I go through whenever I want to figure out what's really motivating me. It's three questions, okay? Three questions that I ask myself. And this helps me kind of sort through my motives. And I wanna leave you with a really practical way to kind of sort through this. It's good to understand concepts and I'm all about practical applications. So let me help you out. Here's three things, three questions we can ask ourselves to kind of uncover what I would call our hidden drivers, things that are driving us here. First of all, who put this yoke on me? Who put this yoke on me? So let me say this. Jesus went through, he, he took some time to describe what his yoke and what his burden feel like. They are easy and they are light. So if you are laboring under a yoke that is difficult and heavy, ask yourself, did Jesus put this on me? Because what Jesus lays on me is easy and light. Does it mean that we won't face trials? It means the way that we pull the weight of those trials does not feel like it is depending on our every last ounce of strength. You know, the minute our, the minute that we attach the words should to, have to, need to, ought to, to anything. Immediately, it's almost like, you're, think of your brain like a, like, a, like a computer and a pop-up screen pops up and it registers that thing as an uncompleted task. And you start to have this low, this is, this is actually neurochemistry. It actually starts to produce a low level of stress over that uncompleted task in your, in your brain. And so when you say, I ought to work out more, I need to eat healthier, I need to study harder. I should have gotten an A. 
I should have gotten into this college. I should have gotten that promotion. I need to spend more time with my family or I need to spend more time with all, whatever it is. I should have a cleaner house. I should be a better mom. I ought to spend more time with my kids. The minute you attach that, and those are all good things, it opens up an uncompleted task which starts to produce stress in you. Okay, now let me tell you something about stress. This is another interesting neuro fact. Do you know that your body chemically produces the same stress reaction to internal imagined stressors that are not even real as it does to a bear chasing you? So if you were getting chased by a wild bear and trying to outrun it, or as you should do, go up a tree, whatever it is that you're supposed, I think you're supposed to play dead. Don't, I'm not, don't, don't follow my advice, go Google it. Don't listen to me. But if you were fleeing from a bear, okay, you would have a certain chemical reaction in your body and brain, a stress reaction. At a much, at a much lower level, imagined stress, negative thoughts, things you think you should do, unrealistic expectations, worrying, repetitive, going over things in your mind constantly, overanalyzing at a much lower level, those activities produce the same stress and the same chemical reaction in your brain and body as fleeing from a wild animal. Doesn't matter if it's real or imagined. Is that amazing? So we can create our own stress just by saying, I have to make this much money. I have to get this car. By next year, I have to have this much in retirement. By th- My kids have to go to this school. They have to, I have to have this. I have to get this promotion. That's un- those are imagined things, not imagined, but they're mental things that create a same stress, the same stress response in your body as if you were trying to escape from a house that was on fire, just at a lower level. The thing is, we don't realize these are stresses, that we're creating our own stress. You're draining your adrenaline, you're keeping your cortisol levels up. You're keeping your blood pressure up. You're raising your blood sugar. And you don't even realize it's you that's doing that with your thoughts. And that's why the Bible says, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Meditate on the word of God. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worry of its own. Worry about, let today's worry stay in today with today's grace. Let tomorrow's worry stay in tomorrow with tomorrow's grace. There is enough grace to handle today's troubles. There'll be enough grace tomorrow to handle tomorrow's troubles. We have the ability to lower our stress level just by saying, who put this yoke on me? Who told me I have to have a perfectly clean house? Who told me my kids have to go to private school? Who told me that I have to have this much money and get this job promotion and live and you know, own my own home instead of renting a con? Like, who told me that? Nobody said that. Did Jesus say that? He didn't say it. He might not be the one to put the yoke on you. I'm just saying. That's what I was doing to myself. I had all these imagined things. I was, I was supposed to be here by this time and this is where I'm supposed to be. And I should have had, you know, not just one book published, but four books published. And I was creating stress that didn't even exist. And I was depleting myself. The second question is, what, um, who am I trying to please? Who am I trying to please? You know, one of the hidden motivators of our lives is often approval. We just don't want people to be disappointed in us. We don't want people to not approve of us because if people don't approve of us, we might not actually be approved. And we take that need for approval and we attach it to what other people think about us or believe about us or how they respond to us. And when they don't respond the way that we think they should respond, that makes us feel approved, we start to, what happened, you know? And women are actually a lot worse at this than men. I'll tell you the honest truth. 
one of the things I've learned from working with both women and men is when men get into it at work, they like yell and have a thing and then they go home and they don't think about it anymore. They're, it's over, they come back to work the next day, they're good. If, a man, if women get into a fight with someone, they go home, they, I wonder if I said that right. I wonder if they're still thinking, like if they get into a, I've noticed if I get into a fight, like not a fight, you don't do that at church, we don't fight with one another. Um, not, not in the holy house of the Lord. Um, <laughs> but if we get into a heated discussion, I will go home and I will be like, okay, I wonder if I said this right. Did this come out right? I wonder if they understood my heart behind that. You know, do they, I mean, I know I said this, but they understand my heart. And the man's like, what's for dinner? Like they can compartmentalize so much better. Let me help you if you're a woman leader, if you get into a deal with a man at work, they forgot about it. Don't waste your energy. They're done. They're not thinking about it when they go home. Neither should you be thinking about it. But this is the thing, you mull over that, that creates stress. One of the biggest things I, was, I asked my, my daughter, I said, what do most of your friends want to be when they grow up? My 12 year old, she said, famous. I said, famous, famous for what? Oh, they don't care, just famous. They just want to be famous. Why do we need to be famous? Because we don't carry the sense of being approved of and loved inside as something existential, as something solid, as something that has weight in our lives. And so we take the approval of other people like sticky notes and try to patch up the holes and cover and add approval to us, hoping that the approval of others will somehow stick on our soul and make us feel really loved. And that's what I was doing. I was so drained, but I was ashamed to ask for help because I thought people are gonna think I'm such a loser. I'm gonna disappoint people. And I, I mean, I know, that I, I know that I'm not, I know where I am, but if other, I don't want other people to know. It keeps us from being vulnerable. It keeps us from humbling ourselves. It keeps us from asking for the help that we need. And I'm so glad that I had a group of friends. And this is why we're so passionate about groups. I found a group of friends that I could trust and, and open up to. And then the final question is what's motivating me? What's motivating me? You know, when people tell me that they're goal-driven, I can identify with that because I'm very goal-driven. But now the question I would ask myself is why? Because another hidden motivator is achievement. Achievement is a hidden motivator. It's a, I mean, a hidden driver. We can be driven to achieve by this for the same reasons that we're driven for approval. We just need something, we don't have that sense of worthiness or competency inside of us. And so we need things from the outside to show us that we're worthy that we're competent, that we're good enough. And what God wants to do is he wants us to take that question to him because whatever we give the power to answer that question to, whether it's work, whether it's accomplishment, whether it's other people, whether it's the way we look, whether it's how good of parents we are, whether it's how smart we are, whatever you empower to answer the question of your worth is ultimately gonna be the thing that drives your life and sets the pace. And what we want is we, we want Jesus to have the only authority to answer that question in our lives. So I'm gonna ask Matt to come up and I'm gonna actually turn it over to the campus pastors and on Pastor Clay here in a second. But I wanna leave you with this, okay? That in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said this. He said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. What Jesus was saying is that you can't serve me and then let the pace of this world drive you. Whatever you serve is gonna be the pace setter in your life. And, you know, I'm very much a work in process in this. I'm not totally perfect. The goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is to be whole. And I've made my, I've, I've, I've moved the, the goal of perfection. It's completely out of my life now. I don't wanna be perfect. There's no win in that. What I wanna be is I wanna be whole. I wanna have integrity from the inside out. I wanna do what I do from a place of strength and not compulsion. And I wanna be led and not driven. And here's what I know. We will not find the peace that we're looking for until Jesus sets the pace. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Our prayer is that it will help you to live a God-first life. For more information about Celebration Church and other available resources, please visit our website at www.celebration.org.